1: Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thank you for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man that would like to remind you not to think because it can only hurt. He is the captain.
0: Don't be a thinker, be a stinker. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Today we are finishing off the
1: last of our lapse Day Temps by White Rooster Farmhouse Brewery in Sparta, Illinois. This is a blend of one of White Rooster's Barrel Age Saisons and one of their Barrel Age Cool Ship beers. And the bottle is more beautiful than most wine bottles. Good stuff here, Captain. Four bottle caps and a big batch of five bottle caps goes out to our good friends right here. First up, I want to give a shout out to Amber And Joe in Southlake, Texas.
0: And a big shout-out to Brandy in Berwyn, Illinois. Next up, it
1: cheers to my man, Benjamin Franklin. That's Benjammin' in Iowa City. And a
0: big we like your jib to Travis in Louisville, Kentucky.
1: We want to give a cheers to Lauren listening in Farmington, Minnesota, and last but certainly not least, we have Danielle in Raytown, Missouri. Thank you to everyone for putting some beer in this week's fridge, and if you want to help out with next week's show, go to TrueCrimeGarage.com, and we have a donate button that you can click on for the beer fund.
0: Yeah, while you're at TrueCrimeGarage.com, make sure you sign up on the mailing list, click on the store page, and pick you up a creepy camper shirt and that is enough of the bs all right everybody gather around grab a chair
1: grab a beer let's talk some true crime Picking up where we left off, Captain, we are discussing some of the possible suspects, or at the very least, people that we think should be looked at in this case. We now need to take an in-depth look at two men whom Jen worked with. Many people believe that one of these men, not both, is likely responsible for Jen's abduction. There is a lot in this case that points to Jennifer being abducted by somebody who knew her, knew where she lived, her routines whom she might have trusted and possibly let her guard down with. Perhaps this person confronted her over her recent trip with her boyfriend and an argument ensued. The story about the two co-workers at Jen's workplace makes them suspects in the eyes of many followers of this case. The Orlando Police Department did not prioritize Jen's workplace in their investigation, probably because she never made it into work that day. The crime happened elsewhere. We said that in the week after Jen's disappearance, the Orlando Police Department conducted interviews with some colleagues of Jennifer's and took her computer. But really, that's about it. The building she worked in had over 3,000 employees. Orlando PD did not speak with every or actually very many of them at all. And there are two in particular who are internet favorites for being her abductor. These men were not interviewed in depth until three years after Jennifer vanished. Drew Kessie has long told a story that may have helped spark public interest in a coworker of Jennifer's as a possible person of interest. He and Joyce maintain that a manager in Jen's office, we're going to call him John, he was her peer, not her superior. But he was very interested in Jennifer and repeatedly pestered her about going out with him. Jennifer did not date colleagues, and this manager was married. Drew and Joyce suggested to Jennifer that she handle it by having lunch with the manager in the building's cafeteria and letting him know firmly that she did not date in the workplace. Drew says that as far as he knows, Jennifer did do this. Then after her abduction at a public event, the Kessies conducted publicizing Jennifer's case. This manager approached the Kessies and gave them a secret Santa ornament. Jennifer kept on her desk. Now, if that were all there is to it, then the manager would likely get a side eye from the public, but he might not be a person of interest, but there is much, much more to this story. Mm -hmm. In 2010, another coworker of Jennifer's who is known in online forums as the pseudonym Adam Frank, although that is not his real name, filed a harassment suit at CFI Westgate resorts against the manager who we said had a crush on Jen, right? The manager was Adam's superior at work. This lawsuit alleged that the manager was known to have a relationship with Jennifer Kesey and to have made comments deemed threatening since Jennifer went missing. These included comments that Jennifer was likely eaten up by alligators by now, which he said to more than one person. Mm -hmm. It also alleged that the manager was late for work on the morning of the 24th of January, 2006, the day that Jennifer went missing. According to this complaint, the manager made disparaging comments about Jennifer's boyfriend, And he was obsessed with her. Adam Frank claimed that the manager and Jennifer had a confrontation about her trip with Ron on that Monday morning after Jennifer got back from St. Croix. Within days of Adam filing this harassment suit, he was fired from Westgate. Now, it is not known whether the manager was actually late for work that day, as alleged by Adam. Managers were not required to keep time cards. But in the wake of Adam's suit and dismissal from the company, a source told Unconcluded that it was Adam, not the manager, who was obsessed with Jennifer. He had sent her an email telling her she looked nice and he was creepy and stalkerish. By these accounts, it seemed that this Adam Frank guy may very well have made up the whole thing about the manager to cast suspicion on this manager, on John, rather than himself. Right. The upshot is, and we don't know, but a private investigator who worked for the Kessies views this manager as the prime suspect and says that he has not been cleared by Orlando PD. Which one? The manager, John. 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 This this manager, John, was the boss of this other employee who later filed the complaint. Right, Adam. Yeah, thank you. It is, it is difficult to follow because you really have one man saying, look at the manager. He said some weird stuff. He might be guilty
0: of this. Well, and he's also saying that he also came in late that day. And we have no evidence of Jennifer talking bad about this Adam before she went missing but we have evidence of her talking to her parents about this John character.
1: That is correct. The weird thing, though, is we have other sources that say that it was Adam who was late for work on the 24th and not the manager. Mm -hmm. The private investigator also states that Adam Frank, again a fake name, passed a polygraph and she was able to corroborate his statements. Somehow the manager knew about Adam's complimentary email to Jennifer indicating that he was monitoring her emails. Again, another thing we just do not have answers to, but it looks interesting. And I'm going to put po- point this out here, captain. I firmly believe in reviewing this case that the individual or individuals responsible for her disappearance, they had some knowledge. So it, whether it be extensive knowledge about Jennifer Kessie or even just some general vague knowledge, but they had some knowledge about this young woman and her activities. Mm -hmm. One man that we have not yet addressed. And now many feel could possibly be linked to what happened to Jennifer because of similarities between Jennifer's disappearance and one that he is believed to be responsible for. This is 2009, a young woman named Tracy Ocasio left a bar in Metro West neighborhood of Orlando with a man named James Hadaway. The bar was called the tap room and Jennifer Kessie and her friends had been to this bar, at least on one occasion, which was in Jen's old neighborhood. Tracy Ocasio was never seen again after this night at that bar at the tap room with this man. And her case is still unsolved. Right. Her Chevy Cobalt Tracy's car was found in Ocoee, just blocks away from the home of the man she left the bar with, James Hadaway. Jennifer Kessie worked in Ocoee. Hadaway is now serving life in state prison in Florida, convicted of an attack on another young woman, Rachel Clark, whom he tried to strangle to death in her car after she gave him a ride. He was known to brag about how he liked to strangle his victims, and break their necks. Hathaway's ex-girlfriends told detectives he had a morbid obsession in vampires, cannibalism, and serial murderers. The Orlando Police Department has looked at James Hathaway and Jennifer Kessie's case, but the fact is there just is no real evidence to make a connection. For one thing, both Rachel and Tracy were voluntarily in Hathaway's presence. Whereas it is very unlikely that this would ever have been the case with Jennifer Kessie. Mm -hmm. It is theoretically possible that Hathaway saw Jennifer Kessie somewhere and decided to attack her. That is possible. But again, it doesn't seem to be that there's any, anything of evidentiary value to connect him to her missing person's case.
0: Yeah. It doesn't seem like there's much of a link at all. I mean, definitely similar cases, but no link.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting that one of his possible victims, it sounds to me, has never been found as well. Right. And I think that is, there are several problems with Jennifer Kessie's case, and when I say problems, I mean they're, they're mysteries. They're these little mysteries that are inside the big mystery. And one of them is not only when did this abduction take place and where, but also why has she never been found? Right. There was not that big of a window to get rid of her or conceal her. And we went through a lot of the searches that were conducted. They had some hits and some leads along the way, but she's never been found. And that's another thing that is...
0: Cadaver dogs didn't hit on her car either.
1: Right. And that's that's the other thing that is still so troubling and hurtful to her family to this day. I know her father, at least based off of words that I've heard him say in interviews, seems to have come to the reality and, and maybe that's not the right phrase, but at least has, has decided to accept the very likely reality that his daughter is no longer with us, Mm -hmm. but they still need, some even hint of closure, they still need to find her.
0: I understand why people would question the time of, of when she would be abducted. But to me, it just seems like everything points to that. She got up and was getting ready for work. And then she left for work. Then the question for me becomes more, did it happen on the way to her car or was she in her car? Uh, Did she actually leave uh the her condos unit, was she driving? It it seems like to me those are the most likely ideas and so I I kinda want to start ruling out this idea that she was abducted at night.
1: Well and I think if you could if we could take away what we know of the statements regarding these cell phone pings, this was a conversation that happened between Orlando P D and the Kessie family. Right. If that would have never gone public, if that conversation never made it to, to the public's ears, I don't know how anybody could consider otherwise. I mean, like as you said, I, I think everything points to a morning abduction.
0: Yeah. And I, then I also wonder too, like what, what records do they have? I mean, do they have her financial records? Because, yes the
1: the answer to that is yes they have that information and
0: i think if you would be able to prove that you know at 11 o'clock at night or whatever she went to a bar and had a drink or something now that puts us in a whole different mindset of what happened Mm -hmm. we then know that she was lying to her boyfriend we then know that she she actually left her apartment but we don't have any records of that
1: The only possible evidence in my mind that points to a nighttime abduction, a possible nighttime abduction, is these cell phone pings, the phones being shut off, which we are now being told by the same people that told us about these cell phone pings to begin with, that this could be all bogus information. We don't know what they're being told that there, there may be some good information in here. However, we know that there is some bad information in here. Mm -hmm. So we can't look at this and just arbitrarily decide what is correct and what is not correct. You have to just kind of throw it all out and say, we're not going to look at that.
0: Well, and I also think the big point of evidence would be, let's say she went to a bar and she met up with some guy. Then that individual goes back to her house, stages the fact that she got ready for work knew what items to take that she would normally take to work, uh, lay out multiple outfits that would match a certain set of shoes that she told her mother she was going to wear. Uh, That just seems like a lot for a perpetrator to be able to do.
1: We do know what's interesting in those regards, though, Captain, we do know that somebody, the perpetrator or the offender or somebody that was working with the offender staged the car. So I guess it wouldn't be too big of a leap for somebody then to say, I want to be clear, this is not my thoughts on this right. at all.
0: But, if, but are they staging the car or are they just moving the car?
1: Well, that th- in a sense, it's the same thing. So therefore, I guess the, the easy leap to make would be, well, if she was abducted the night before or abducted from her vehicle, then maybe the perpetrator went to the condo and staged the condo as well. I'm with you. I don't think that there would be any way for this offender to know exactly how to stage the condo to make it appear that she was going to leave that morning. I already said that I believe that this individual has some knowledge about Jennifer Cassie, right? but this seems like too much knowledge would need to be had where I think this could get a little more likely, even though I disagree with it would be if she left her condo with the intention of going immediately to work the next morning from wherever she was going. Mm-hmm. Because then she would have brought those items with her willingly. I, I'm i with you, though. I, I 100% lean toward the idea of a morning abduction.
0: Well, I also don't believe that this perpetrator had to know a lot about her. I could just know no. a little bit about her. I think when... Her father, Drew, says, look, you have a pretty girl. They don't just take pretty girls and put them in the corner and stare at them. There's a motive there. And I think that's probably what the motive was. And I think it could simply be somebody working on that site. There's undocumented workers. There's crews of people. You know, I used to work some construction crews. You wouldn't know anybody's name that you're on that crew with unless you worked with them multiple times, but a lot of those times those crews would change over very rapidly. All this guy comes to work with us one week. Well, he got paid and now he's not with us any longer. What was his name? Uh, Well, we called him, (laughs) called him Scarface or whatever. Right. Um, You might not know his actual name. Mm -hmm. and I think it's, it's more likely that, for whatever reason she got into her car or was maybe she was making trips to her car to bring things to work. And this person looked at this as a opportunity.
1: Look, I have good reason to believe that, that I know who should very likely be the, the number one prime suspect in Jody, who's in Truth's abduction, which took place in Iowa city, right? We're in Iowa. And really that person, all they needed to know to carry out that abduction early that morning is where she lived, what her vehicle looked like, and what time she would leave to go to work. That's all that person needed to know to carry that out. I think we have a situation here where it's so similar in my mind that that's all this individual or individuals would need to know where she lived what time approximately she left for work, and what her vehicle was.
0: Well, and it's not impossible to get some dickweed to go drop off this girl's car at an apartment complex. Right. It's not impossible, but the fact that they actually, you know, we have some evidence that not only did they drop the car, but they walked back to the condo complex. Yeah. So, again, I don't, I think the dickweed that dropped off the car is, Most likely in my mind, the perpetrator
1: or one of two or one of a team. And it's so interesting that you use the word dickweed because when Mm -hmm. last week you asked the listeners to go to our blog, view the pictures Mm -hmm. of the person of interest and tell us what they saw. Well, I said what I see 100% is a dickweed. By far the most popular theory regarding the person or persons responsible for Jennifer Kessie's disappearance centers on the workers at Jennifer's condo complex.
0: Yeah. Well, the thing I can't get over when you're looking at that dickweed is they're claiming he's pretty small, right? Or she is pretty small under five, five. The smallest that we see reported
1: would be five, three, but Again, I believe that there there are other agencies other than the FBI that believe that this person could be as tall as five foot eleven. Right. So releasing the oh, the the perpetrator or the person of interest is what we should call them, because that's what law enforcement has referred to this person as. Right. The person of interest absolutely the person pictured there absolutely did move that vehicle, Jennifer Kessie's car, we know that. Moved that vehicle and parked it there around noon the on the 24th. So where our window of time starts at 10 PM the night before this person is moving this vehicle and leaving it in that parking lot at noon, 100% that person drove that vehicle. Other agencies are saying, look, we have this individual taller than what the FBI stated, five foot three to five foot six inches tall, not much taller, but as tall as five foot 10 or five foot 11. But again, one of the popular theories regarding this person or persons responsible for Jennifer Kessie's disappearance centers on the workers at her condo complex. Right. And you would think, well, this should be easy for police to vet these individuals, to investigate these individuals. But it's not so easy when we have the Kessies who say, after Jennifer disappeared, it seemed like some of these workers magically disappeared. Keep in mind, the authorities may not even know who all of these workers were at the time, or even to this day. Many of them were undocumented workers. Some of them were crashing at the condo complex in its empty units. We could be talking about, usually with with this type of work, this line of work, we usually are talking about a lot of seasonal and or transient workers as well. These workers would or could know which units were empty, possibly utilizing an empty unit to abduct and hold a kidnap victim. Right. Remember, there were about two hundred and fifty empty units at this time. The workers could also know Jennifer's routine. Remember too that Jennifer's family has said that the workers would regularly catcall or leer at Jennifer. This happened to other women in the complex as well.
0: Yeah, but also when you look at the surveillance picture, it also looks like the person's wearing some kind of outfit you'd wear when you're doing construction or painting.
1: Yeah, some kind of work outfit or some type of uniform. Now, also remember regarding these possibilities that there is some belief that a set of master keys was stolen, Mm -hmm. meaning that, someone could have access to all of the units. Although if Jennifer was taken in the morning, the suspect very likely would just grab her in the parking lot and not even need to enter her apartment.
0: Right. But I think the evidence that we know that this person dropped off her car and then headed back to the condo unit is evidence that there's some direct connection between them and those condo units. And they, and they could have been staying in one of those rooms Could have had their car parked in the parking lot, drop it off. Now that I did this bad thing, I got to hit the road. I got to get out of here.
1: Yeah, no, I 100% agree with that. I think that it's very likely that the reason why the trail goes cold for the scent dog who is trying to track where the vehicle or where the perpetrator, the person that drove the vehicle went off to after parking it. Right goes back to her condo complex, goes back to her parking garage area, and then all of a sudden stops at the stairs. I think that's because this individual not only walked back there, but got into a vehicle at that general location and took off, whether they were the driver or a passenger. go download
0: it now free on the app store and Google play. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL learning today. IXL learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, Thank you. I was having problems in math, and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to keep your kids back on track, or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners, get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. Visit ixl.com garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out ixl.com garage today. The
1: best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month, when you purchase a three-month plan, it's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless. With Mint Mobile's limited-time deal and get 3 months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new 3-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com/tcg. That's mintmobile.com/tcg. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at MintMobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with factors no prep, no mess meals. to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active.
0: All right. Cheers, mates.
1: Cheers. One story I want to make sure that we get to here, Captain. This comes from Jennifer's father, Drew Kessie. Remember we had said last week that he had reported that on a couple of occasions when she had to have work done in her condo unit, that she would drive home on her lunch break. She would oversee the work that was going on and she would stay on the cell phone talking with family or friends. So the workers knew that she was in a sense, not alone and she would watch the work being conducted. She didn't want to have these workers in her condo unit When she was not there, he says that on one of these occasions that one of the workers was later arrested for statutory rape in 2008. Apparently what, according to drew, what he wants to say is that this worker is someone that had later told the Orlando police department that yes, he had worked in Jennifer's condo. And the last time that he saw Jennifer was when they started working in her condo. She had let him in telling him to just lock the door on his way out. Drew points out that not only is it suspicious that this man later goes on to commit a crime, but he also says this story that sounds untrue to drew. It sounds like something that she would not have done Or consented to.
0: Yeah, I like where his head's at with this, but at the same time, it seems to me once somebody committed a crime like this, they would just disappear from the complex altogether.
1: Possibly. I mean, if they had the ability to do so. Right. They might not have the ability to do so. And then furthermore, if they do and they don't have an out or a reason to no longer be there, that in itself may make them look suspicious. This worker, according to Orlando Police Department, was questioned by them, and according to them, he passed a polygraph. The second worker that was working with him regarding that day with the story that he told was also cleared. And I say that, and I want to really circle and underline this before we move on. The statement is he was cleared. I don't know that when you see the words also cleared, that to me implies that the other guy was cleared as well. Mm -hmm. I don't know that these guys should be cleared, number one, and I also question how official that would be by Orlando Police Department, if in fact they were officially cleared or if it was just written this way in the articles. Now, according to the Kessies, many of the other workers disappeared, as you had pointed out, Captain, and there is little to no documentation on how or where to find these workers
0: right and that that's what i think one would disappear it's possible that this individual also knows because there's undocumented workers that when a crime happens within the vicinity or happens to somebody that uh, uh, of a place that they're working at that a bunch of workers flee the scene therefore not making a big deal that they're going to leave as well.
1: Drew and Joyce Kessie have said that they were told by the police department that Orlando tried a quote sting operation with a painting company working at the complex but many of the workers were gone by the time they were doing the sting operation. So there are conflicting reports about whether all of the workers were actually tracked down and questioned. I did find some reports to say that state that that did in fact happen, but many reports question if that actually happened and how would they absolutely know that everybody was questioned. The Kessies are adamant that not all of these workers were in fact questioned. There are statements by a private investigator who worked with the Kessie family. And this investigator maintains that yes, all of the workers were tracked down, including some outside of the United States and spoken to drew Kessie, has said that when he and his wife Joyce were living in Jennifer's condo, remember, they did this for about eight months after she disappeared. He says while they're living there, the landscaping maintenance crew would arrive every Tuesday morning by 7.30 or 8 a.m. This to mow, prune the shrubs, and tidy the grounds. He wants to know what these guys saw, what they could have seen that Tuesday morning of January 24th when Jennifer, in theory, could have been taken. Some reports have stated that Jennifer's car was observed by these workers not to be in its designated spot. Remember, her spot was number twenty two twenty six. Not in her spot on that Tuesday. But we obviously just don't know for sure. Here's the thing that I want to get want to point out too, regarding this, this parking area and regarding where the footsteps, the where the scent dog Bo tracked this scent to Mm -hmm. if I'm living in this condo complex yes I have an assigned parking space it's you actually with most of these places your the purchase of your condo includes the purchase of that parking space right and sometimes you can purchase an additional spot if you wish if I'm living there and I know that half the place is empty and I have to walk a distance to get to these stairs, and then from the stairs get to my condo. If those other spaces are not being used, why wouldn't I just park at the space closest to the stairs? Even though that's not my assigned spot, right? I could totally see somebody doing. I would do that.
0: I would totally do that, and then right, I would but go. You also play your music too loud, and yeah, get I would go into my
1: condo and I would blast the music. And mm-hmm. look, I. I wouldn't get kicked out of this condo because I want to point something out here too that, look, it almost feels like lawlessness at this condo. Uh, I do not, as somebody who worked in property management for many, many years, and for three and a half of those years worked as the security administrator for a condo complex, I am appalled at what is being reported that was coming out of this condo complex at the time that she went missing. We don't have any real security going on. We have the appearance of security. And unfortunately, the people that are going to do bad things that are going to do harm to the residents, they are smart enough to realize that there is no real security going on at this place. What we have going on is the appearance of security and they're only trying to uphold the appearance of security and not real security to appease the people living there, to trick the people that are living there. There was nothing to actually protect the residents of this condo complex, be it from criminals that that are outside of the property, or be it from criminals that were employed to work and renovate this property.
0: Right, right. But I think eventually there was going to be. It's just you couldn't have the gates closed all the time when you have all these workers coming in and out. So willy nilly. But that, also that's li- the
1: problem. The workers are coming in and out willy-nilly. Mm-hmm. The condominium complex that I worked at was under construction. When I started working there, there were zero, mm-hmm. zero tenants, zero people that owned a condo that had moved in by that time. The second week I was there, we had two people mm-hmm. that lived there. And then that grew every couple of months. So I worked in a place that was more more under construction than this place that we are discussing today it it was more than 50% under construction mm-hmm. every day we checked in and checked out workers that worked there they were not to be on that property without going through us first they were not to leave that property without going through us first we knew every worker that was working there when they were working there and what company they were working for and who uh, the work that they were there to perform. Mm-hmm. Yes it it's it's quite the operation. It it's tedious and it took a lot of work and a lot of organization. But we did it. And why we cared about the actual safety and security of our people living there of the homeowners living there
0: yeah well obviously this community didn't i mean right and that's what i'm appalled at and on on top of that they said oh by the way we we don't know who you are but you can stay in the empty units as well yeah i mean it's it's completely irresponsible
1: and i was doing this years before she went missing so it's not a technology thing it's really just a it's a lack of giving a shit is what yeah,
0: it is. Well, I I think possibly. I mean, your unit, you know, where you worked is also different than this big complex. You you'd have mo- you know tons of crews working uh, on these units, and so the crews would be spread out probably a little bit more. But still, I mean, shut the gates, have passcodes for people so you know who's entering and who's exiting, and and then everybody should be documented, and everybody every crew. The crew leader should know everybody's name, social security number, whatever. When five people don't show up after a crime happened, you're able to give those names and information to law enforcement.
1: Yeah. We'd be able to say so-and-so just all of a sudden is no longer here, and they could go to that person's company. And mm-hmm. I want to be clear, it, these they are there to perform work on the property. They're not necessarily employed by the condo complex. They're there to conduct work to do so. So um, that's why they don't know everything. But again, you can check all of those workers in and check them out at the end of the day. We did it all the time for three and a half years.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, again, back to the surveillance tape, looks like maybe a painter's outfit. It could also also be some kind of uniform for landscaping as well.
1: Yeah, I think the from what little I can see, I see what would appear to me to be like a line cook, somebody that works in a restaurant, but you know, behind the scenes, or a painter.
0: That that well, I think the problem is, like they said, these this outfit is a little bleached out. Mm-hmm. So that that's what kind of makes you, that's what makes me go to the same thing, all oh, painter or line cook. But, some
1: some people online have suggested a a cricket player, which. And then posted some pictures of individuals that played cricket in the the uniform is very similar. Mm -hmm. And when looking through that, one thing that that jumped into my mind immediately was in Orlando, the the sport of Lie was pretty popular. I don't know if it's still popular to this day, but it used to be very popular in Orlando, and they wear similar uniforms to what people would wear for a cricket match. One suspect that. I want to make sure we include Captain. And this comes from a caller who called into uh, the Unconcluded podcast and brought a Facebook post to the attention of the host. This was a local guy who grew up in the Oak Ridge area of Orlando. This is not far from where Jennifer lived, but it's also in one of those not-so-nice neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. This location was near the Oak Ridge Baptist Church where – a woman on her front porch said that she saw cars signaling to someone in the woods. As a teen, this caller had a classmate who was, as he says, a bad dude. One of those guys that would uh, you know, get into trouble a lot. He shot off guns. He behaved violently, recklessly, committed sexual assaults, and had a number of arrests over the course of some years. This guy apparently bragged that he was a menace to society and had gotten away with lots of crimes. The caller said that this guy had even shot the caller's friend and gotten away with it. The caller didn't know the guy's real name, just his street name. Eventually, sometime around 2016, this guy was deported for being a criminal. It's not known to where, and he went to prison in his country. But then in November, 2017, the caller saw a Facebook post from this crazy guy he had known from the, his neighborhood. And the guy posted a long rambling, profane, semi literate confession of sorts about all of the bad stuff he had done, including sexual assaults of two family members and so on. Mm -hmm. He made apologies to various people. And at the end of the post, which was deleted, but only after it was screenshotted by this caller, was the sentence, quote, sorry, tell Jennifer Kessie's parents and I apologize. Now I'm trying to read that best I can because those aren't, some of those aren't real words that this person typed out, Mm -hmm. but basically this is an apology or sounds like an apology to Jennifer Kessie's parents. The caller was familiar with the Kessie case and said that he saw her parents handing out flyers in his neighborhood more than once. He said this shady guy tended to hang out on Texas Avenue. This is where Huntington on the green is located. We are told that this information was in fact passed along to Orlando police department. I've not heard any updates regarding this situation. The Orlando Police Department has also stated that they cannot rule out the possibility of sex trafficking in Jennifer's case. Apparently, the Orlando area had several rings in operation in 2006 and was reported to have one of the highest rates of sex trafficking in the country at that time. Criminal profiler Pat Brown spoke with Jane Vallez Mitchell about her thoughts on the likely offender. And says, well, Jane, I think that Jennifer's father is correct. I think what happened was she left that condominium, was getting into her car, and that's where she was abducted. Because if somebody had their own vehicle, they would grab her and pull her into their vehicle. Because it is much easier to work a crime scene when the police don't know where the crime scene is. But when you use somebody else's vehicle, and that is found... That's going to be a crime scene. So my guess is this guy lived in the condominium or was working in the condominiums. That's why he took her car, took it someplace, did something, and then dropped it off and went back where he had to go because either he works or he lives there. So I think the police do have a focus. They can go right to that condominium, ask everybody, who do they know? what psychopathic creature is running around that condominium that people know of living there or working there that might have abducted Jennifer when she came out of that condominium and went to her car. So captain, I want to ask you, is there a theory that you lean toward? Is there thoughts that, that you have on the case regarding what you believe could have happened here?
0: Well, like I said, I think it's more likely that she's abducted after she got ready for work taking away the nighttime abduction theory. I think it was somebody that like you've said before, somebody that worked at the condo complex or lived there Mm -hmm. or both. And, um, pretty, pretty much similar to the, the profilers thoughts.
1: Yeah. I agree with, with you and the profiler, Pat Brown as well that when you're profiling a case, one thing that you need to do, especially when we have so many missing puzzle pieces as we do here, is you need to profile the victim, the area, the situation, and the offender. And a lot of times profiling the victim, the area, and any circumstances, situations going on at the time, that will help you. That All of that information, you will apply that to the profiling of your offender or your likely offender. What I see here on the surface is a young professional woman who moved into this condo recently. She was only there about three months. And it appears that the biggest threats that would be going on in her life at that time would be the the things surrounding her condo, the workers there, the willy-nilly coming and going of these different workers. And that seems to be the most likely threat or the biggest threat that she was facing at that time as as a potential victim when we look at her victimology. And therefore if you go and say all right well we lean towards the idea of a morning abduction, well she's going to be vulnerable. I don't care if it's during daylight hours. She's going to be vulnerable during that walk between the the door to her condo and the door to her car. On top of that, somebody could have monitored that situation and plan this out. This to me looks to be planned out and looks to me like she was targeted again. The offender would not need to know her name or crucial information about her to target her, just target her based off of the want to abduct this person. And the only general information that they would need to know is again, where does she live? About what time can I expect her to go from her condo to her car or from her car to her condo and which vehicle is hers? Because if she's not parked in her designated parking space, then I need to know where her car is. I need to be able be able to visually identify a car as being hers so I can plan out where and when I'm going to grab and abduct this person. One thing that I've always questioned in this case is we know that when her parents find out that something is up, that something's going on, she didn't show up to work. Now we're getting an emergency call from her work. We've placed a call to her condo complex and said, can you check her door? Can you see if she's home? Can you check and see if her car is there? They are told, no, she's not home and no, her car is not there. I've always wondered if, in fact, if she was choosing to park elsewhere, if there was a chance that at that moment in time, if her car actually was on the premises, if it was on the, the property itself.
0: Right. If it wasn't moved yet, yeah.
1: Right, but if some some idiot worker there, look, people can get mad at me all they want. What I see here is a clear, it's so clear that they do not care about the security of the, the homeowners at that time. I'm with you. They probably were going to at some point, mm-hmm. but as we agreed in the John JonBenet case, nobody should be should feel less safe on December 26th than they should any other day of the year. So when you are selling security to your homeowners as a reason to live there as part of your condo fees each month, then provide them with such security that they are told that they expect to receive. This person, whoever they sent, may have had the best of intentions, may actually be a good person. I don't know. But I have every reason to believe that that person may have no idea what type of vehicle Jennifer was actually driving. Therefore, I look up her information. Oh, she's supposed to be in this spot. What did we say? 2226, mm-hmm. I believe. I go to 2226. There's no car there. There's nothing there. Her car is not here it could have very well have been over by the stairs or in a different spot that was more convenient to her because there's not as many people living there to fill up all of those spaces. I think key, the key thing here is when and where was that vehicle that morning from the time that she was supposed to be gone at work until they know it to be moved and then parked mm-hmm. because that's going to shrink our window even more I also kind of lean toward the idea that I'm thinking two people are more likely involved in this than just one. It feels like it would be, look, it'd be easier to carry it out if you had help number one. And then number two, on top of that, depending on what time they, they took her, if you and I are both right, if Pat Brown is right and she was abducted between the door of her condo and the door to her car, there's not a lot of time to do whatever you gotta do and move all these things around and and put all these things into place, because I also believe that that very likely whatever whatever demise she was met with, I kind of feel like I kind of feel like a lot of this stuff was done before the car was parked before mm-hmm. the car was left at Huntington on the green. It almost feels like, to me, the final act in this whole sequence of events...
0: is drop the car off, yeah.
1: Very likely could be, yeah, get rid of the car, and then, then get back to where I'm supposed to be, where I'm supposed to be accounted for. Mm-hmm. And I almost feel like you got two scenarios here where you make one guy, you got two guys, one guy goes and parks the car, returns back to where they're supposed to be working or where they have worked in the past... And now they're getting into this other person's vehicle or a shared vehicle and they're driving off for the day. Now that could mean disposing of her afterward, Mm -hmm. after they leave the property. I feel like the immediate area has been searched so well that if she was in the immediate area that they would have found her by now. And it's so sad that they, they have not for the family's sake, but also, the the biggest mystery in here is simply just not to me. It isn't it isn't even any more about what happened to her? I I feel like we will never know that one hundred percent until she is found, mm-hmm. until she is located. Maybe you get a confession out of somebody if this was more than one person. Maybe you will get somebody that can't keep their mouth shut. My fear is that one or both of these people are no longer in the area and probably have not been so in a long time.
0: Right. I also th- think it's strange that we, we have a lot of information about the cell phone pings and that information could be wrong, but why don't we have more information about the cell phone pings of the the, the morning in question?
1: Yeah. Is there any way to like forensically go back and look at that again to put a new set of eyes on that and mm-hmm. make make heads or tails of the different pings? And when the 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 phones were powered down, or I, I guess I should say shut off, or the batteries removed, mm-hmm. because the Kessies, in their statements, what they've said were batteries removed, which of course sounds a lot worse than powered down or turned off. In January of two thousand and eighteen, so two years ago, Captain, but twelve years after Jennifer was taken, the Orlando Police Department held a press conference at. Huntington on the green, where they announced, quote, enhanced focus on the Jennifer Kessie investigation. And they trotted out an Orlando city bus with Jennifer's photo on the side. Despite the Orlando PD's statement that the case was active and that they would never stop looking for Jennifer, the Kessies were fed up. Logan Kessie went off and tore into the Orlando police department. He said that the press conference was a slap in the face to the family and that the police department was only putting on a show of caring about the case because the Kessies now had attorneys involved. Logan confirmed that the family had hired attorneys to try to obtain copies of Orlando PD's investigative files on his sister's case. The Kessies maintained that the case had gone cold and it needed an independent review. After their FOIA request for the case files were repeatedly denied, they retained attorneys to help them gain access to the 14,000 pages of the Orlando police department's case files. They filed a lawsuit against the police department in December of 2018. This lawsuit was groundbreaking for a family to demand that a case legally be declared cold and a police department legally required to hand over documents. This is a bit of a risky tactic. If the Kessies alienated the Orlando Police Department, the case might just sink into the abyss, so Mm -hmm. to speak. Now, in March of 2019, the Kessies settled their lawsuit against the police department. The parties agreed that the department would no longer be obligated to investigate Jennifer's case, and they began handing over the Jennifer Kessie case files to the family, but this didn't come without a cost. This, The cost would be $18,648. This is for photocopying fees. Mm-hmm. The family, the Kessie family, has a GoFundMe to help pay for some of these fees, which Drew, the father, absolutely hates, but says that they have no choice. Independent investigators retained by Drew and Joyce Kessie are currently reviewing these files, and Drew recently stated that there are some names in the files that they have never heard of. The family, sadly, is still waiting for that one phone call that can bring their daughter home. If you have any information on the whereabouts of Jennifer Kessie, please call the Kessie family's private investigator at 941-201-4009.
0: All right, for everything True Crime Garage, check out truecrimegarage.com. Make sure you also check us out on the Stitcher app. The old episodes are available for free, and we have a bonus show called Off the Record. Check that out.
1: And if you love us, do not be afraid to leave a five star review with the platform that you listen to True Crime Garage. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. We'll see you back here next week. Until then, be good, be kind, and don't live.